It's time to breathe new life into the social entrepreneur by empowering you to make a living through fulfilling work that will impact lives. You'll make money, but more importantly, you'll make a difference. Welcome to the Change Creator Podcast. It's time to build a business with purpose. Now here's your host, Adam Force. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is your host, Adam Force. Thank you for joining the Change Creator Podcast show for social entrepreneurship. I'm excited today because we're doing a little bit of a new dynamic. Uh, these are two people that we're going to be talking to, and both of them are people that I have interviewed historically. Um, Anne Miltenberg, who is a social impact branding expert, and uh, Gotham Shah, who is pursuing animal wildlife conservation through uh, the use of new technology and innovation. And that's what we're talking about today. They've actually been working together on Gotham's new idea. Um, last time we spoke to him, he was doing hackathons and vetting solutions. And now that they've landed on some of these concepts, they've been exploring on bringing it to life, getting seed funding and all these types of things. So we're gonna talk about all those steps that they've been taking and how they made that progress. So if you missed the earlier episodes, I would definitely check them out. It's it's Ann Miltenberg and Gotham Shah. And uh, today, like I said, we're gonna be tapping into some of those next steps experiences. You know, this is that process that we all want to learn through, which is, you know, how do you how do you come up with these ideas? How do you start getting the funding? How do you start bringing it to life? Um, and so a lot of valuable information um, will come from this conversation. Um, if you guys haven't uh, checked out the website lately, we do have an offer there uh, until April 1st. Today is March 24th. So until April 1st, um, you know, we've been working really hard. We have some big cover stories with Ariana Huffington, Neil Patel, uh, and others. And we want to share that content with you. So if you're not a subscriber, at no cost to you, until April 1st, we're going to be sharing three premium cover stories. That's with Ariana Huffington, uh, social entrepreneur awardee Dr. Alasdair Harris, and global marketing guru Neil Patel. Um, in addition to that, there'll be one bonus edition of the magazine added into the equation. So guys, stop it's right on the home page you'll see a picture of ariana huffington and a sign up uh, just uh, pop in your email join change creator and uh, we're gonna happily share those really powerful interviews these are exclusive interviews we've had and it was an honor to have all of those interviews and lots of great information in there from everything to building your enterprise, uh, financing it, uh, transforming your habits, all these things that really give that holistic approach to success. So it's a nice variety of uh, topics between Neil, Dr. Harris, and Ariana. So explore those and uh, definitely check them out if you have not already. So without further ado, we're going to dive in. Guys, stop by the iTunes store. Please do leave us a review. This is really helpful, and we do appreciate it greatly. Um, so let's get started with the convo. Hey, Anne and Gotham, how are you doing? Thanks for joining the Change Creator Podcast show again. Thanks, Adam. Great to be uh, talking with you again. Yes, welcome, welcome. I'm excited to uh, hear about your progress and what you guys have been doing. And this is the first time I've had two people on the line uh, for one of these discussions. So this would be like a mini roundtable discussion about doing some lean process and prototyping. Yeah, let's see how that goes. <laughs> Good, so um, let's just take people back. So for people listening, we I've interviewed and spoken with Anne on a separate occasion 
And if you haven't heard that interview, um, you really should check it out. It's on our website, and we talk about uh, branding and how to humanize that and all kinds of interesting points that Ann makes. Um, and then we talked to Gotham about his process with Internet of Elephants, and it leads up to where we are now and what his vision was. And now he's bringing that vision to life. And we're going to talk about some of the processes. And, and they've both been working together now, uh, supporting these processes uh, to bring this technology and this vision to life. So this is what we're going to talk about today. So if you could just take us through the little bit of a um, summary and a nutshell of what's been going on, and then we'll start unpacking it and breaking it down a little bit. So since we last spoke, you know, what, what have you been doing and um, what's that, that little summary? Sure. Uh, if I try and remember to when we when we last spoke, I was probably in the situation that um, you know we had our we had our concept very well defined. We knew that you know the vision and mission of the of the company was to 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 generate wildlife conservation benefit primarily by connecting a worldwide audience uh, with wildlife. Uh, so the idea being that you know getting beyond awareness programs, but doing things that made people think about wildlife every day, as opposed to just when, when there was bad news about it or, or, um, you know, or frivolous things like sharing, uh, you know, sharing sneezing panda videos. Um, we had at that point, you know, a few different routes that, that we could have taken with that. And the one that was really starting to, to, to resonate a lot, uh, with some of the work that we had done, uh, was to work, um, was to work in the, in the space of mobile gaming. Mm. Um, and with the partnerships that we had with uh, a, a number of different wildlife conservation organizations, uh, what we had really seen was that each of these organizations had uh, a lot of data uh, about each of the animals. Um, and that's data that they were tracking from GPS collars uh, that are being used for scientific studies. Um, so our, you know, our basic premise was, well, that's an I mean, that's an amazing asset when you when you visualize some of that, and you see like these animals moving around on a map. Uh, it became very clear that that's something that if it was done in a very, very interactive and fun way, could actually potentially a tell a story about that, uh, you know, about that animal yeah. um, and b provide an opportunity for, uh, you know, for people to get to get engaged with it. And so we really just, you know, we're like, okay, well, this is this is it. Let's let's focus. Let's think about how we can create entertainment products, uh, taking advantage of this, uh, taking advantage of this data, and then turn that into benefits for the same conservation organizations that are providing it. Yeah. So let me just jump in real quick. Um, yeah. I guess, my, my, and maybe I blinked when you said this. Um, how were the animals trackable? Like, what what was done with the animals to to make them trackable? Yeah, so uh, across the world, I mean, there, there, there is technology that allows uh, scientists um, to put uh, tracking devices on animals. Okay. Um, and depending on the size of the animal, I mean, if you're, if you're tracking an elephant, you're dealing with a, a, a 20 kg uh, a, a belt, uh, you know, that, that, that's put on the elephant and then, a, and then a tracking device that attaches to that. Um, but you can also put different types of tracking devices on birds, on hedgehogs, uh, you know, even animals that that live underwater. And how um, how do you select like what animals? And is that a scalable thing? Meaning, like you can track like a lots of animals. And are are they are they selected for particular reasons? Meaning they're like, um, I don't know. Maybe there's only a, a few left, and you know we want to watch them and monitor them for 
making sure that they have uh, population growth. I don't know, stuff like that. But like, what what leads you to track certain animals and select them and stuff like that? Yeah, sure. So one thing to be clear about is that we don't track the animals. Okay. So Internet of Elephants simply partners with researchers and wild and wildlife conservation gotcha. organizations that are already tracking the animals. We 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 have we we have very little to do, uh, or in fact, not just very little. We have nothing to do uh, with the actual tracking of the of the animal. Gotcha. Now each organization may have its own motivations for want, wanting to track. Some people are doing it strictly for scientific research to really understand the animal and the animal's behavior better. Some are doing it, uh, like you mentioned, because the animal is in danger and understanding its movements and its patterns um, uh, help people make decisions about how to protect it. Yeah. Uh, so a very good example uh, is, 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 is elephants um, in areas that are, you know, that are in parks but are densely populated around the park. So you have a number of elephants that will crop raid. Uh, essentially, they'll wait for it to be nighttime yeah. Uh, they'll head into the corn or the maize uh, fields or the sugarcane fields, ravage them at night, and then escape back to the, the, the safety of the park during the day. Um, and so in this case, you know, what, 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 what one of the organizations that we're working with is, is studying is like, okay, which elephants are doing this? How often do they do it? What are the types of decisions that they make? What type of fencing structures could be put into place? Uh, you know, how do you prevent that, 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 just basically powder keg of, of human wildlife conflict from uh, from happening. Gotcha. gotcha. Um, so yeah, there's just a wide wide variety of reasons why somebody might be studying a, a, an animal, but it's almost always for uh, for the conservation of that species or the research of that species. And we just looked at it and said, like, yeah, that's all great, but we could actually also use it to engage a, a, a massive audience with uh, with wildlife. Right, so you're getting people behind the animals, right? You're, you're kind of getting them to be empathetic towards them so that they have a voice towards protecting them. Is that, is that the idea there? Yeah, I mean, I, I, think, that that's, I think that that's it. So if you, if you think about, look, we, there's, there's, there's so much evidence that people love animals. Of course. Uh, I mean, if you just think about your childhood, everything was animals, right? And for, and, for, and for nobody else, is it really any different? And then somehow or another, over time, uh, uh, different things start to take your attention, yeah. but you don't really you don't really lose that love of of, of animals. I mean, there's a, we had uh, uh, 800 million people visited zoos last year, and you know 100 million people watched uh, Jungle Book, and 100 million people watched the first Planet Earth, um, and so there's all sorts of evidence. You know, when Cecil the lion died, the the whole world went just absolutely bonkers, <laughs> and and they never paid any attention to it beforehand. Right. So there's all sorts of evidence that actually, you know what, there are situations and there are scenarios that get people very, very actively interested in wildlife. It's just that they come in very short bursts or they usually come in very sad, uh, uh, you know, very sad stories that cause outrage for a little while. But then everybody goes back to doing what they do. Yeah. Uh, and we just we want to see can that can that change? Can can wildlife become like Game of Thrones? Yeah. Uh, or wildlife become, uh, you know, like sports in the sense that, that people are actually thinking about it and talking about it uh, every day. And if they are, well, that's good. You know, that's that, that, that just has a whole number of repercussions um, in terms of the way conservation is supported. I, I think it makes perfect logical sense. I mean, you're talking about, you know, out of sight, out of mind. Most people have not even ever been to these areas of the world where a lot of these animals are that are you know, either endangered or that you're trying to protect for uh, whatever the reason might be. Um, so giving them 
more connectivity, uh, I think is important, you know, just like we said, you know, that empathy, that level of empathy people can have can reach further. And I think if they have more connectivity, uh, yeah, I think that that underlying care they have for animals will just be exponential um, at that point. So, I, I mean, I love the vision and I think it's a really cool idea and I, and I think it makes a really good sense. So if you could pull this off and I could see it snowballing into something um, much more, even farther beyond than what you're, you're doing now, I could see it growing and growing and becoming very commonplace to know like what's going on and, and seeing what animals are doing. I think that it's really an interesting idea. So let's dive into some of the processes you've gone through because you know we have people here who you know they're they're doing um startups and you know they might have products or doing anything in tech and so let's hear how you're approaching like how does one start building some kind of technology that does this and you mentioned to me that you were um using the lean principles um, and so let's talk about some of that stuff and how you start applying things. Um, like, wh how do you even just get this off the ground? How do you start prototyping and get started and things like that? Can we start at square one? Yeah, absolutely. No, and it was a big question for us to, to ask. And, 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 and certainly the temptation. So the first thing is you've got to get some funding. Or you've got to have a way of, of, of looking at the next four to six months and saying, okay, how will I finance the work that needs yeah, to be done? Can we talk about that, actually? I'd like to talk about sure. the funding, yeah. Sure. Um, so, I, you know, throughout the, 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 the conceptualizing of this um, and coming up with the idea and narrowing and starting to focus, most of that, quite honestly, was just was funded by myself. So, and 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 when I say funded by myself, that primarily means just in lieu of taking income. So I could have had a job uh, that was earning me money, and instead, uh, I didn't have a job, and I focused entirely on this. And I just, you know, I had worked for twenty years, so I was in a place that, you know, it allowed me to go without income for a while, but probably not incur big costs uh, out of pocket. Right. Right. Um, then we certainly, and then we got to the point, it's like, aha, okay, well, now we need to actually really start proving this out. And proving that out, you know, goes uh, across a number of different streams. And now that's going to start to cost money. Um, I'm not uh, somebody that can program the game, uh, uh, you know, myself. Uh, and so we're going to have to hire people to do that. We're going to need some people to help with marketing. We're going to need to do some data science work around this. And uh, that's just, it, it just going to just require us to spend money. So at that point, it was, it was just no longer going to be possible for me to just continue to self-finance. Uh, so I just started, you know, I started pulling on my, you know, on my personal networks uh, to find somebody that would be in a position to get us the seed funding uh, to get through that first stage of work and that first stage of discovery. Okay. Um, you know, I don't know how else to put it other than, you know, for the, for the previous year and a half, when, after I had left Accenture and decided to get into wildlife conservation, I just kept building my networks, kept building my networks, kept building my networks, but hadn't really pulled on the, them for anything other than to introduce me to more people. Yeah. Um, and so in one way, I think like, yeah, you know, I got a little bit lucky uh, and I, you know, I pulled on one, you know, a, a, one particular individual who was like, yeah, we have to do this for conservation. We have no, we have no choice but to take these type of risks and make, you know, make these type of attempts. So I'm very happy to, you know, to front you, uh, you know, what you need. Uh, in order to, to get this first stage off the ground. 
Um, uh, in another way, you know, I wasn't necessarily lucky because I had in some way been building those relationships over time. And it was just a matter of when you were going to, you know, when you were going to invoke them. Well, and that was, so what made me curious about funding, because, um, you know, I, I talked to a lot of different startups and stuff is, you know, there are the startup situations where you have a first or second year track record to prove growth and you're saying, hey, I want some funding. Look, here's this is already proven and validated and people are like, okay, I'm buying into it because I could see the future of a return. Um, and then you have seed funding, uh, which is more along the lines of where you are, where they're saying, I, I believe in the idea and I think we have to do it, so let's let's give it a shot. And so it's two different things. and. I think the funding you got is more difficult for some people, you know, in, in the social enterprise world to land because, I mean, I, I don't know, it, it, I, I'm always curious on how people find them and, and what you are telling me is that you just had a long um, term networking process that found you someone that who had a big heart for animal conservation basically. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's, uh, it's that, I think it's, yeah, it's of course being smart in terms of how you're targeting people yeah. and on what basis. Right. So, you know, I knew that if I just went to an impact investor and said, hey, want to get involved in this super risky venture uh, uh, in a sector that you have no idea about, which is games, um, and, 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 you know, give us some seed investing for this, you know, for this one guy who's got this great idea. Yeah. yeah that, that wasn't going to, you know, that wasn't gonna, that wasn't gonna sell. Certainly it wasn't gonna sell in the, in the Silicon Valley world. Nah. Um, so there were really, you know, there were two options. One is to go after grants, um, and donations. And the other was to kind of say like, okay, well, there are a number of high net worth individuals that are out there. Yep. Um, there are a number of them that are already uh, uh, putting money into conservation. Um, and uh, those are the people that, you know, have a, a little bit more flexibility to take chances, uh, a little bit less accountability for what they need to do with that money. Um, and if I can appeal to them on that concept of like, well, you're putting money into conservation anyhow. Why not, you know, why not do it in something that has the potential for exponential uh, impact against where you're already putting it, uh, as well as have the opportunity for, for getting a return on your money as opposed to it just being a donation. Um, and that certainly appealed to uh, some of the first people I talked with. Oh, so you, you have a return agreement with them. This is not just a, here, yeah, here yeah. you go, goodbye. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I believe in that. To I fully believe. Well, one is I always knew that I wanted this to be a for-profit entity. I thought that... Um, well, one is I thought we would have a better time raising investment than raising donations. Yeah. Uh, my thinking is evolving on that. But at that time, that's what I was thinking. And secondly, I felt in principle, the way we uh, that we address the problem uh, would have to be from the customer point of view. So if you're doing this in a poor for profit model, you are always going to have to think about what is it that your customer wants. Um, and the customer being the game player, right? And 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 how am I going to compete with all the other organizations that are out there uh, that also want that customer's attention? And I think that that forces us into to constantly thinking about how to make this a better product, right. how to make this a better service, rather than just hey, do this because it's good for conservation. Uh, I didn't. I, I really just don't think that that has legs or long-term legs. I thought it needed to be much more about hey, do this because it's awesome. You're going to love it, and as it turns out, it's also going to benefit wildlife conservation. Right. Um, and so, yeah, from the very, very beginning, we knew that we wanted this to be a, a, a for-profit organization and to force us into into making it a a, a better product. 
I like that. I like that. You know, you pull the money in, you scale the impact, things move forward uh, progressively, which is exciting. So, I guess let's let's so we got the funding um, process yeah. down. Let's dive into the the prototyping. So, how do we start manifesting this idea? Yeah. So that I just was saying, like, once you've got the money, it, it, it's very very tempting to just say, like, oh, okay, well, let's go ahead and just build this fantastic prototype and yeah. and really, really make something that's amazing and that's you know and that's whiz bang. Right. Um, and uh, it's certainly the game developers that we were working with also, you know, they, they have this desire to prove that they can make, you know, beautiful products. Um, but what we did was we took a step back and said, okay, but, but ultimately this first stage is not about putting, we, you know, we're not going to get something into market in this first stage. It's not going to, it's not going to happen. Um, so what are we trying to accomplish? And, and that's where we just went through and said, okay, well, what are the riskiest things about, what we're trying to do and what are the things that if they're not true or what are the assumptions that we're making that if they're not true that this whole thing falls apart and then let's go ahead and concentrate and say that this this money should be used to either uh, uh, change that from an assumption to a to a truth or reduce the risk that that you know that that assumption doesn't hold true yeah right um, and that's where we, and we we started looking at it and in fact our ability to develop a game was pretty low on the list of things that we were worried about. Mm, okay. um, and so I was like, yeah, I know we can make this game. Uh, I know that we can design this game. I know that we can make something that's amazing. That's not what I'm actually w worried about. So spending all our time demonstrating our ability to make a game uh, is actually not going to teach me uh, or is not going to inform us in, in, in what we really need to be informed about. What I'm worried about is, what I'm worried about is, will conservation organizations get on board and share their data with us? Mm. Um, because if they don't, well, this idea doesn't, you know, this idea doesn't fly. Then what I'm worried about is, does the data itself actually lend itself to gamifying? Yeah, maybe, you know, what, what's the quality of the data? Is it, is it going to come in frequently enough? Is it going to come in accurately enough? Is it interesting at all? Is or is it just data you're talking about? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So then what I want to do is like, ah, okay, well, you really need to prove out that this data can, is, is even interesting and can be, you know, can be created into a, a, a game. Yeah. Then, you know, the biggest concern is always, you know, how does an audience react to it? So even if I create the greatest product in the world, uh, and, and maybe I win all the awards from the critics. Uh, if nobody, you know, plays the game, uh, we, we didn't achieve anything. So we said from the very beginning, we don't want to be an art house film that gets all the critics' awards, but nobody comes to see. We want to be, the, we want to be the blockbuster. Yeah. And so uh, that was another big thing that we needed to test. And then we also needed. I mean, quite honestly, we were going to need to raise more money. Um, so we also really needed to see, like, how are other investors and how are other organizations going to react to this and do we have a likelihood of, of, of raising the money and so when we looked at we, we looked at it entirely that way it's like okay what are the what are the biggest assumptions that we're we're making what are the things that we're most worried about or what are the things that we think are our biggest risks and what can we do over the course of the next four to five months to reduce those risks or eliminate them right right um and that's how we that's that's you know that's how we went about uh, looking at our looking at our prototypes, looking at uh, our our partnerships, and, and and looking at everything we did over the course of the next few months. Right. And so, what did you find? So obviously, I guess these folks agreed they would share the data. Is that accurate? 
Yeah, so that was a that was an area that I was actually very concerned about, and uh, you know, as it turned it, it turned out, it wasn't um, it wasn't very difficult uh, at all. I mean, we're, we, I mean, at this stage, we're actually turning away partnerships uh, because we feel like we can't make promises back to these organizations, and we're starting to dilute the benefit across too many organizations. So, in reality, what we found from conservation organizations, I expected a lot of pushback. You know, people are very protective about their data. Um, they don't know anything about the gaming sector. They're worried about sharing data with, uh, with, with the public. So I thought we'd get a lot of pushback. But ultimately, I think a, a lot of the conservation organizations that we talked with were just super excited about the idea that their data could be used for something bigger. Uh, so long as we, uh, you know, so long as we had good answers on some of the security concerns about sharing that data. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, so I guess I'm curious. Yeah. All right, then what was, okay, so now you have access to the data. And then you were yep. concerned, was it interesting? So, yes. was it? <laughs> yeah, well, it, it turns out it depends. Um, uh, and so uh, we, we started looking at data across a number of different animals. Um, and uh, there are certain animals that lend themselves to, to, to more interesting behavior patterns than, than others. Mm. Um, there's also animals, uh, you know, based on the tracking device and based on the technology that provide you a range of, uh, I, I guess, frequency of, of, of updates. So some animals you can get a, 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 a location uh, transmitted to you every hour. Uh, others, it's every four hours. Others, it's, you know, once a day. Um, and sometimes you get five transmissions, uh, but you get them all at once, you know, after five days. Right. So we learned that there's like all sorts of different ways that the data could come to you. Um, and so we, we, what we started to do is determine, okay, well, what's, first of all, what's the minimum level of quality of data that we would need, right? So if we're getting, if we're getting something with 80% accuracy, is that going to be good enough? Or do we need something with 99% accuracy, et cetera? So the first thing we did was just kind of assess it from a, from a quality point of view. Um, and we, you know, we, we basically, we set the minimums and, 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 uh, and, and we realized that there's certain animals that that's going to be possible for and certain animals that it's, it's just simply not going to be. Right, right. Um, but what we did find is that there is enough animals uh, by far uh, that meet that minimum quality uh, level. So then we could get to the next thing and say like, ah, okay, well now let's start looking at what they do um, and whether there's uh, uh, ways to make that interesting. So if an animal just goes from the watering hole to the pasture, back to the watering hole, back to the pasture, back to the watering hole, it, you know, it's, is that interesting uh, for some, you know, for someone? So a zebra might follow that, you know, that type of pattern in a particular season when things are good, they just stay in the same place and they go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Alternatively, you might have uh, 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 an elephant that travels, you know, super, super long distances or a lion that protects its, you know, protects its territory or a whale that just goes in a straight line, um, but, you know, across an entire ocean. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, again, I think we, we, we found that in, 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 in each situation, you can actually, through the gameplay and through the gameplay mechanic, uh, change things to actually make the data interesting. <laughs> so, you know, and if you look at if you look at games, there's certain games that are 95% luck, right? Yeah. And there are other games that are you know 30% that are 30% luck. Um, and so, in many ways, the movements of the animals is like rolling the dice. 
um, in, a, in, a, in a game like Monopoly or a game like Backgammon, etc., you're, 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 you're counting on an element of luck, which is rolling the dice. And then you need to make decisions around that. And in some games, you know, rolling the dice is 75% of the game and some, in, in some it's 25%. And so we, we really started to see like, ah, okay, well, animals that seem to do the same thing over and over and, and, and over again, you can alter and adjust the games to require a greater level of precision um, in terms of what you need to do strategically. And games where the animal's movements are seemingly more random or more distributed or take over a longer period of time, you can start to create the game mechanics of games that are, that are, uh, that are a little bit more uh, luck-based, but, yeah. you know, but still fun to play. Sure. So I think it was, it was difficult to come to an answer to say that any single animal is more interesting than the others. It, you know, it very much actually, we realize, depends on how you define the, how you define the gameplay mechanism. Okay, okay. Um, and I, I, you know, that might that might seem a little bit hard to understand, yeah. but or, or or process. But let's take a sea turtle for example, mm -hmm. right? Now a sea turtle, it spends nine months at sea, and then it comes uh, onto a beach to nest. Um, what they're doing in the ocean, it, it may not necessarily be nearly as interesting as when they're going to appear to be uh, on the beach. Right, right. right. So, so now you can, you can, you know, you can potentially gamify like, aha, okay, well, what they're doing in the ocean isn't, you know, isn't super interesting because you don't have any contextual information other than it's just a huge body of water. So where they're swimming within a huge body of water, there's no context. But the whole idea of potentially being able to guess the exact day on which they'll show up on a beach in Sri Lanka or whether they'll actually show up on a beach in Costa Rica now all of a sudden, this you know this starts to become interesting in the context of a in the context of a sea turtle. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, whereas a lion, uh, you know, it protects its uh, territory. But what might become interesting is how often it crosses paths with a uh, with a zebra, how often it crosses paths with other you know with other uh, with other lions, how often it travels at night, how often it crosses the mountains, uh, and, and so on and so forth, because it's just much more contextual in terms of all the other things that are going on within its uh, within its ecosystem. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting because that's what I was just going to say. Is like if these animals, you know, I know that conservationists they watch them and they understand their, you know, life patterns. <laughs> so if there was uh, inputs to give people context of like what to expect and what they're doing and like stuff like that, um, it would give it would be really interesting. It's almost like narrating a a live um, wildlife program, basically. Um, yeah. I guess to throw a little curveball at you, <laughs> I'm just curious. Like, if I'm watching a zebra or something, um, is there the possibility then, of course, you know, the lion comes along one day and, and next thing you know, my zebra's gone? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Wonder, yeah, of course. It's, there's, there's definitely the, po I mean, there's all sorts of possibilities yeah. of, of things, you know, of things that could happen, depending on the animal. I mean, uh, in a really, really bad situation, your, your elephant could get poached right exactly well yeah um, i mean that's the story. your your zebra could get eaten by an animal or your you know your 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 animal could be the the uh, the victim of, of of a human wildlife conflict situation i mean there's a, there's a lot of different things that could happen and the real life element and the possibility that those things that can uh, that could happen are actually things that we we want yeah right? because that is real life i mean in in some ways we're trying to create an interactive Truman show uh, around around wildlife. Yeah, yeah, like that. Uh, and yeah. so the things, the things that could actually happen uh, in the wild 
are the things that we want to be able to bring into your experience. What we have to, you know, what we have to balance is what, what I say is the difference between fact and truth. Um, and so what we know from the data is factual, right? So where a zebra goes, how high it went, did it cross into Tanzania, did it cross a river, uh, uh, you know, how much time does it spend in a particular area or a particular vegetation, all of that can be derived as fact from the data that we're pulling from it. Um, what we know is truth is, for example, it gave birth. Right. But the, the fact that it gave birth, it, it, you know, that there are sophisticated, you know, means to do this, but it's not something that you could get from the data. So it would be very difficult to gamify uh, uh, that it gave birth because that would require a human to kind of intervene and let you know that this is something that happened. As soon yeah. as that happens, you've lost the integrity uh, uh, of the game. Yeah, um, let me can I just jump in those real things quick. Want to, I, go ahead. I just have a quick question that's been in my head before you continue on that. So hold, hold your thought yeah. there for a second. Um, I'm, a, I'm a user. I'm watching this. Uh, you just talked about human intervention, which made me think of it again. It, what, what, what am I seeing actually? Am I seeing actual satellite imagery of the actual wildlife area and animal, or am I seeing like a, as if I was driving my car using you know GPS and I'm seeing like a little tracker? Like, what, what's the visual? Um, yeah. Idea. Yeah, and this, in, in some ways, this depends on what the on what the game is. But the best way to imagine it is us recreating uh, in, a, in, 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 in a game format or in a game animation the environment of that particular animal. Okay. So if the animal lives in Masai Mara National Park in Kenya, for example, um, we're able to go ahead and, you know, you, you of course can see that in Google Maps. Uh, but Google Maps isn't really kind of suited for 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 gameplay or, or, or really giving you an understanding like when you look at it you're not really quite sure is that is that a savanna is that a forest right so we would bring that to, we would bring that a little bit more to life in something that's more uh game rich gotcha. um then uh we would give you different views of of that so you can imagine the hot air balloon view uh, which is the ability to kind of see that animal from from above and where it's going. Mm -hmm. um, but there's also the view of the animal's point of view as to where they're going and how they see things within the environment that we've created. I gotcha. So we're able to recreate, uh, you know, each of these parks and each of these environments, not to the scientific degree of, of, of accuracy, but certainly to a, a level of accuracy that's perfect for uh, for a gaming experience. Very cool. And that's, and that's, you know, it's an interesting thing that we learned as well, right? It was like the first thing that we put out there was we just let people play uh, over a Google map. So, you know, very simply, can you predict where this elephant is going to go in the next four hours? And you saw it. Uh, uh, you can still see it. In fact, the prototype's still available for, for, for people to look at. Um, but you just saw it from an overhead point of view. You saw the elephant and you kind of picked a location. And what everybody's, you know, what everybody asked for was, was like, well, A, I want to be able to zoom in and see more details. And B, you know, this Google map is, is cool, um, but I can't really understand the details of what I'm seeing. Um, and so then in the next version of the prototype, we went ahead and, like I said, we sort of animated uh, the Google map view of it. Um, uh, to see, you know, to see how would people react differently, uh, in, you know, in that particular case. 
Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. So these are sort of like the micro learnings that we were also trying yeah, to, to, yeah. to understand, right? It's like, God, well, you know, do people even care that this is real data? Uh, do people want to learn, you know, like if I had just said that this was fake data, would they have been just as happy and, and, and actually no. solved half my problem of trying to keep something really unique, right? Do they, do they, are they interested in finding out more about the individual animal? Because our hypothesis is, is that this will create a greater connection between you and an individual animal, Amelie the elephant. Right. Um, is that, you know, is that happening? What are people asking for? What are people seeing? Um, so we really, really kind of, you know, the proof of concepts are, are not very, uh, uh, glamorous uh, uh, or, or, or something that's going to make you, you know, drop your jaw. Um, but what we thought, the way we thought about them was very specifically exactly was it, what is it that we're actually trying to find out um, from the people that test it yeah. um, and give them a little bit more leeway and a little bit more room to give us feedback rather than, you know, pushing it down their throat. Right. And so how did, right. so you got a prototype put together and you said that's still live online. Is that going to remain live for how long? Yeah, there's a, there's a second version of it now. Um, so in fact, we're, we're pointing everybody to the second version of it and it'll stay, I think we'll, you know, we'll probably keep it up there for another month, month and a half. Um, one of the things, you know, I, I had originally set up with this goal of like, okay, I want to get 2000 people to, to, to sign up. Um, and to give us feedback on our first proof of concept. Um, and one of the things that we quickly learned was, you know, after getting 300 pieces of feedback from different people all over the world, it's like, ah, okay, like number 301 is incrementally going to provide us extremely little value. Yeah. Um, so once you've got, you know, 300 pieces of feedback on something, yeah, it, 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 unless you're trying to test whether you can, whether you can generate an audience of a few thousand, uh, the, 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 which we didn't really need to do at this point, gotcha. um, getting more feedback wasn't, wasn't actually turning out to be, uh, any more valuable. The first, I mean, the first 50 were super valuable. Um, and then after that, it was almost like a little bit of a vanity thing just to, right. just to have fun, see how many people could, could, would actually do it. People were interested in the fact that it was real data, that that did play a role. Yeah, well, we got a lot of, of we got a lot of feedback that said that that's really cool. Um, that's really that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, at the same time, uh, people were asking for a lot more information then about the animal. Like, ah, oh, this is a real animal. Well, if it's really a real animal, then tell me more about her. Mm. Tell me more about, uh, about her as an individual. Tell me more about her story. Tell me more about the herd that she lives with. Um, show me more pictures. Show me some videos if you can, because it's really neat that it's a real animal. But if you're leaving all that information out, um, then uh, uh, whether it's real or not uh, is just a matter of whether it's kind of cool or not. But it's not really sucking me into the game as much as, you know, as you, you obviously want us to be. Well, that's interesting. Um, and Anne, I'm going to pull you in here in a second. I know you're the silent partner, but um, I, you know, one of the <laughs> things is if you, okay, I joined this game and based on that feedback, it's kind of like, okay, if you're watching this, let's just, I'll go with the zebra again. It's almost like, is there a profile of the zebra? So whoever the conservationist is that is tracking this, if they could share, I'm sure they've taken pictures and video and you had this little area where, all right, you're looking at this animal, here's, here's some pictures, here's some video, and now you know like who you're tracking, like who you're looking at, right? So you can get the realism behind it, 
um, and, and then you know kind of who you're. It's kind of like it's kind of like Match.com. You got to know who you're talking to, you know. So you get a little bit of insight and visual appeal, which makes it even more real for someone if it's not like a real, um, you know, satellite view of the animal. So I think that makes sense. Yeah, that's and, and in fact, that's that's exactly what we need to do. Um, I, I've said that we want to make celebrities out of these animals. Right. So I don't, I don't, I don't need a thousand animals in the game. I need like I need ten really good characters. Right. And each of those characters should be like a character in a television show or a character in a movie where they become household names. Um, so each of these animals definitely has a name. Each of them has a you know, has a history, and each of them has a story that they're effectively telling through you know through their through their life. Um, and so this type of information is absolutely critical in order to get them to that celebrity status, where two people might be standing at the water cooler and saying like, "Hey, did you see what Amelie the elephant did yesterday?" Yeah. Um, it's only going to happen if you create that emotional in that that emotional connection, so that somebody actually cares. Uh, uh, what Amelie the elephant did yesterday. So yeah, absolutely. That's one of the biggest things that that, that we need to that, that we need to accomplish. That's an exciting next step, though. I like that. And uh, so, Anne, let me let me pull you in here. Um, so, you're you're an impact branding uh, expert. That's really your forte. So, I guess two things for me. Uh, one, you know, what has been your role in, in in helping out through this process? I know you've been partnered up here, um, and this is uh, really Gotham's um, you know primary focus. But uh, what's been your role and how you've been helping? And then, how do you see? I guess the the do you have any? early read on you know what the branding for something like this looks like and I know you're big on humanizing meaning like branding is really a reflection of like a, a, of a, a person and do you feel like this is currently this this idea is reflective um, of uh, Gotham and his his values and and everything he believes in is it aligned mm. Um, so when I when Gotham and I first started collaborating about a year and a half ago, um, he was really someone who was looking to apply the principles of tech to conservation. Mm -hmm. And um, with a background in IT, he didn't have a reputation established within the conservation field. And so there was a question of, okay, how are we, you know, how are we going to do that? Um, he also had uh, five different directions, about five different directions that he was investigating. So. Um, the technology uh, applications that at that point could could either be anti-poaching or an app for ecotourism or uh, perhaps even platforms for managing parks and conservancies and using tech to uh, to to create more efficient management. Um, but he he had this this uh, overarching concept of of um, uh, the Internet of Elephants, and so that was a, I think a very um, a lucky stroke. Um, so, uh, when we started, um, the brand development process, I just came in as a, uh, external, uh, a brand developer and we really created the brand to establish a professional presence for Gotham in the conservation space. And we knew that we needed partners and investors and we need to build a tribe of like-minded people. Um, so, uh, we created a, a first brand and a brand strategy and built some thought leadership around the topic of tech for wildlife conservation. Um, so, um, uh, Gotham wrote for SSIR and Skoll, um, uh, pitched to a thousand different people, um, the different concepts in technology that he had. Uh, we started doing events. 
um, and it really started to um, attract some attention. This is also at the moment when we when we spoke to you, I think, last summer. Yeah. Um, and so that was the, so the first phase. And I, I have many startups will will recognize this. In the first phase, you think you're going to be in the market of conservation. So we'd very much very much positioned this as a uh, tech company for conservation. Um, and then it emerged that we were going to focus on games um, and um, that IOE wasn't just going to produce one game, but they would be creating a suite of entertainment products. Mm-hmm. And each of those products would have its own purpose and its own audience and its own look and feel. So Imagine there's like a sports app around, you know, can you can you walk faster today than than Omni the Elephant or um, there's more an educational game for for younger people. So all of those would all of those applications would have their own brand that comes with it. Um, and so we realized that we needed to position IOE more as a the company behind those products and therefore think about it more like a, uh, a movie studio, for instance, that has a portfolio of different entertainment products. Uh, and, you know, we were just very lucky that um, in the name and, and the visual identity and everything that had developed around the thinking around the brand and the topics that we wanted to talk about around the brand really still fit that. Yeah. Uh, so, so I mean that that was I think what's always important is that you uh, you will you know that as if if you're in if you're building a company that you're going to pivot, and so um, lucky for us we were able to um, to pivot the brand along with the development of the company. Got it. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I'm always interested in how people find. You know, it's it's easy to talk about and know that you have to have a brand voice, right? That can cut through the crowd and really reflects like what you stand for. Um, but once you get down into the uh, the details, and you're the person who's you know running that 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 company, and you're thinking about that, it's it's well sometimes it's hard because you have several directions that you could go with that brand voice, and it could be too broad, too narrow. I, I don't know, just the wrong direction, and it's hard to almost you know pin pigeonhole like well this is the specific voice I need to have, and so and then I think that's where you're expertise and process comes in to really help kind of narrow that down so I was just curious and, and you did kind of touch on some of those things which I always find interesting because I, I, I it sounds like such a simple process like oh this is what I'm talking about this is it but it's not always that simple in my mind yeah no you're absolutely right and uh, I, I think this is also what I, I love the lean process that Gotham set up and because it's not just to help you uh, make a great product, but it also helps you to find your audience and learn what, what resonates with them. Um, so uh, now you find out who are these people that we could uh, we could involve in this, where do they hang out, which message resonates, uh, how can you craft that and, and evolve it. And so from pro- the first prototype to uh, an augmented reality demo that we put out to a third prototype, we are learning as we go. Um, and um, we hired someone specifically to focus on communication and traction, and so she's been really looking uh, uh, after that uh, engagement with the audiences. And so um, in the future, when, when there will be that suite of entertainment products, the voices of each of those products will be very different. And so the voice of Internet of Elephants will always be about the enthusiasm and the deep love for, for animals, and really um, trying to craft a solution that has a huge impact, you know, not incremental change, yeah. but really looking at generating a third revenue stream 
extreme for conservation because it needs it so desperately. And what's also really interesting is that you can use that lean process to now also test how you communicate impact. So um, we all know the famous one-for-one -one model, which is a, you know a, a great way to communicate impact. It's also very simplistic, mm -hmm. and um, it doesn't always work with the uh, the actual model of uh, revenue and proceeds going to rev uh, conservation that's behind it. So we're also using the prototyping uh, uh, process to to figure that aspect out, like. How do we? How, how do people want to feel like they're making a difference, and how can we? How can we use that to to show the benefits to conservation in the best possible way? Yeah, yeah. And, and how did you guys get people to uh, get give you feedback? You said you is this your university approach where you went to students and stuff? Is that where you got feedback from? Uh, yeah. So our uh, uh, chief of play, um, she uh, also teaches um, game design at university. So she used university students. Um, our head of traction uh, organized events, um, uh, one of which was in Frankfurt a couple of weeks ago. Um, then we had a lot of, uh, we started to build an online community, which was really great. So we now have 1,200 people in the test community who are uh, engaged and, and giving us great feedback. And what's really nice is that, you know, the, the harder people are in the way that they give feedback, the, the better for us, of course, because the game will get better. And also um, uh, making sure that we respond well to the feedback. Um, and um, that we show people that everything that we've learned in the in the first phase actually then translates into uh, uh, the game uh, that we developed for the for the second phase. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, so Gotham, maybe you could tell me a little bit about some of the next steps now. Um, so I guess it sounds like the prototyping gave you some good feedback, um, and you talked about a little bit of the evolution of the program to personalize the experience uh, with the animals a little bit. So then what, what's next now to move forward and really kind of start shaping this up more? Yeah, I think there's two big things, Adam. So one is we, we, we used all that feedback. I mean, we had like, we had 10, 10 game concepts in our heads or, or even on paper. Um, and the proof of concepts were really intended to get uh, a, a, a lot of feedback so that we could narrow from those 10, uh, hopefully eventually down to, uh, you know, to three or one. Um, so it, it did do that. So we did, we did narrow down to three, uh, to our top three concepts. Mm -hmm. um, what we need to do now is we need to determine from a business point of view, what's the best way to launch. Um, and most likely the best way to launch is not to try and launch three games uh, at once, right? So even if you think that these are three, three products that may eventually end up in the market, uh, you know, I think one of our, our top priorities is, 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 is being smart about how we get from uh, those three game concepts to what is the best way to enter the market. Mm -hmm. um, most likely that means A, uh, uh, getting to one product um, choice, and then B, having uh, a, a somewhat, not necessarily innovative, uh, but different uh, a way of, of putting this into the market and competing, uh, quite honestly, in a, uh, in a very competitive, saturated market of online games, right? So if we just kind of put it out there and put it on the App Store and then just spend a lot of advertising dollars, uh, I think what will end up happening is we'll spend a lot of advertising dollars and we still won't get players. Right, right, right. Um, so, A, you know, get from our current three to one, 
and develop the, 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 the right strategy for how that will launch. And B is we're, we're fundraising. Um, or we're, we're raising, you know, we're raising uh, financing, I should say. Um, so we know what it will cost us to bring a product to market and to support it. Um, and we know the type of runway that, you know, we want to be able to have. Um, and so, uh, you know, I'm, I happen to be quite keen on knowing that we've got enough runway to make that happen before I really truly start. Um, and, and other people would do that in a different way. They'd say, like, we'll take what you've got now and, and, and you know, and get it going. Uh, I, I think this all this all depends on different individuals, risk appetites, et cetera. I don't know if there's a right way or a wrong way. Um, so we're halfway. We've uh, we've got commitments for half of what we need uh, to get there. Um, and so we've really been heads down recently, um, you, know, you know, trying to, to, to get in contact with as many potential investors and, uh, uh, foundations, et cetera, uh, to raise the remaining, uh, the remaining portion of it. Okay, great. Um, well, I want to be respectful of your time. We're about at the one hour mark here. It sounds like a lot of really interesting progress uh, on this project. I'm excited to see it uh, continue to evolve. Um, is there any anything else that we uh, maybe missed or I didn't touch on that you wanted to share that um, you know we didn't catch? Yeah, I, we're we're always looking to build a community. So if there are listeners who want to see the prototypes, who want to engage with them, yeah. give us some feedback. Uh, maybe they have ideas for partnerships. Uh, who knows? Um, we have uh, we are launching a new website where there is a community section um, that offers different ways that people can contribute. Um, so um, I'll be sure to share a link uh, with you uh, to that page. Okay, great. So yeah, when we put this live, guys, we can go ahead and add that uh, for people to check out. Um, any idea when that might be ready? Uh, about two weeks. Oh, okay. It's not too far off. Okay, great. So we'll probably look for around sometime in April. We'll um, get this out the door and we can give people some connection to that. Cool. Great. Um, and, and you'll still have your current site, right? Go them um, Internet of Elephants. Yeah, I mean, Internet of Elephants will will uh, will be there um, eventually. When we get to a, a single game selection, then we'll start thinking about how to brand that particular product, and it okay. will take a life of its own, uh, you know, produced by Internet of Elephants. Right. But Internet of Elephants right now is the is the is the site. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, wonderful. This is really exciting stuff, guys, and I appreciate you both jumping on the line and sharing your continued story and progress and how you approach those the things like funding and prototyping. Uh, I think it's a lot of helpful information for people to hear. Um, so uh, I guess any final words? Otherwise, uh, thank you so much for joining. Yeah, thank thanks you. a lot, Adam. I really appreciate uh, appreciate the questions and, and, and time. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, if you ever need anything, you know where to reach me, guys. Thanks again. <laughs> Okay, keep up the good work, Adam. Will do. Bye-bye. <laughs> Ciao. That's all for this episode. Your next step is to join the change creator revolution by downloading our interactive digital magazine app for premium content, exclusive interviews, and more ways to stay on top of your game. Available now on iTunes and Google Play. Or visit changecreatormag.com. We'll see you next time where money and meaning intersect right here at the Change Creator Podcast. 